Welcome to Spectrum Sundays. I am Francesca D'Alessandro, a current master's student at University of Buffalo studying speech language pathology. Additionally, I am your Miss Thousand Islands of New York State, serving my community through AAA appreciation and awareness for autism. And I am Megan Sinisi, a Master of Health Science candidate studying to practice as a pediatric speech language pathologist. I am also Miss Central Pennsylvania and the founder of a nonprofit organization for autism titled From a New Perspective. Everyone deserves to feel accepted and included in every space they walk in. Our series aims to inspire you to advocate for yourself and on behalf of your loved ones. And we are so grateful that you're here with us today. Kayla Monville is a mother of two beautiful and perfect children with autism. She received her master's degree in special education from Saginaw Valley State University and has been an educator for 10 years in both general education and special education classrooms. She is currently teaching education fundamentals to future educators at a career and technical school. The love for her children and her diverse educational background has driven Kayla to provide a book that can relate to a broad range of families. Kayla hopes that families, educators, and professionals working with young children can use her book titled Rock With Me as a learning tool to promote acceptance and autism awareness, as well as to celebrate the very things that we love so much about our children and students. So Kayla, thank you so much for being with us today. We're really excited to learn about your children, your experience as an educator and as a parent. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Sure, of course. So could you start by giving us a quick overview of your education and your experiences with autism spectrum disorder so far? Yeah, so I have a bachelor's degree in special education and then also a master's degree in special education. I was an educator in special education classroom for seven or eight years. And this is my 10th year teaching. Now I teach future teachers. So I get to inspire those that want to go into education or some form of a career of education. And when I was in special education, I, I was able to work with general ed teachers and help them create more of an inclusive classroom. I also was a part, I was advisor for a peer-to-peer -peer program. So it was students helping um, students, so neurotypical students, working with uh, students with disabilities. I also am a mother to children on the autism spectrum. That's so beautiful. And it sounds like your life had kind of prepared you for a role as this one. And it's so good to hear that the special education, you're able to pass that on to a new generation of educators. I went to Syracuse University and we also had a peer-to-peer -peer program. Oh, great, yes. So I know exactly how impactful something like that can be. And it's wonderful mm -hmm. to hear that you were involved in that as well. Yes, that's great. <laughs> yeah, we've mentioned on our show too before how some of those mentorship programs, especially at such a young age, really, like Megan said, impacts on a deeper level. Mm -hmm. um, but getting more into your personal life with your family and children, could you tell us a little bit more about your experiences with your own family? Yeah, so I guess I'm a, a mom of two children with autism. Um, my children are pretty young still, seven and five. They just turned seven and five and they're in the public schools. They started in the center-based program and they moved to full inclusion school, public schools. So my son's in first grade and my daughter's in preschool. So 
they are really active. My son's getting ready to start baseball. My daughter, and we'll see how that looks with, you know, being in a COVID year and the restrictions that we have. He did baseball a couple of years ago and really missed it last year. So that's been something he's been gravitating towards. So hopefully with these COVID restrictions starting to lighten up a little bit and we're getting to a safer place, my daughter could maybe do something like gymnastics. She's really into sensory integration. She loves that hard impact. And she has really been flipping around in the house. So I'm hoping to get her involved in something like that. That is probably going to be a great outlet for her. And yes. I'm really excited to see what that journey looks like for her in the future. Yes. Yes. And it, I hope that everything goes smoothly in the COVID restrictions. It seems like mm -hmm. things are getting better. So hopefully, mm -hmm. you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel with all of this. But we wanted to ask a little bit about specifically what inspired you to pursue a degree in special education. We know that it's a field that can be intimidating to some. So what mm -hmm. was it that really attracted you to the profession? It's actually an interesting story. So the level I teach is, um, it's like a teacher training program. And that's what it was called when I was back in high school, my junior year. So I actually work with my once mentor. So she is the second year teacher and I'm the first year teacher. So when I was in high school, I took the teacher training program and I was placed in the kindergarten classroom. And there I fell in love with the students with disabilities. Like I wanted a job shadow in the special ed room. I wanted to, you know, anytime I got to teach a lesson, I wanted to make accommodations and be inclusive. And I had the greatest mentor teacher and she had seven students with disabilities and seven students that were English language learners. So I had the ultimate experience and she was the most patient kind teacher. And she really so showed me like those best practices to do to make my classroom inclusive. And that's where it started for me. I knew then in high school, I wanted to be a special education teacher. So now I'm actually teaching the program I once was inspired to go into the field. So it's come full circle. It's my dream job. It sounds like you picked the right path because some of those strategies and those techniques and the passion seems like it was inherent for you. It just came naturally, which is an indicator that you're a really strong special educator and I'm sure your students love you. Thanks. Yeah. And with that, my, I get that question all the time. Were you a special ed teacher before you had children or did they inspire you to become a special ed teacher? Um, I was a special ed teacher before I had children, but I would say having my children has made me become a better teacher in general, being more patient. I understand the process now from both sides as a parent and as an educator, where before I was just as an educator. And then when I had to sit in IEP meetings as a a parent, it was just completely different. And I could see how intimidating that it could be and how they would use acronyms that maybe other parents would not understand. And maybe they were just doing it because they knew I understood, but I thought, do I do that? And do I just play off my, you know, the strengths of my students? Cause that's really where I wanted to be as, as an educator. I didn't want to look at the data and just say, here's where we are. And all that negative talk about their disability, they've heard it, the parents have heard it a hundred times. They know where their child is. They know their child better than anybody. They don't need a professional like me, especially when I was taught high school, get to high school saying, once again, yeah, your child is behind. They wanted to hear solutions and they wanted to hear how inclusive and accepted they were and how they were building off of all of their strengths to be this great person. So having my children has made me be a better educator. 
That was so beautifully said. And I'm really glad that you shared that with our audience because I'm learning that currently as a speech language pathologist sitting in in those meetings, Mm -hmm. I can see what you are talking about uh, firsthand. And it's really great that you're able to reflect on that and build on it to improve for the students that you serve in those families. Um, But since we're already kind of in that mode of storytelling, could you share maybe some of your fondest memories or stories as a special educator? So I have so many, I could probably tell you all day, but um, the best part of being a special education teacher at the school district that I worked at in the high school setting is I received those students as freshmen and then they stayed with me for four years. So they would be with me every single day. So I ran a resource room and I also did um, push in, but they would be with me at least I saw them every single day for an hour and then for four years. So when they walked across that stage of graduation, that was like the best thing. And just how we became a little family, the the students in the classroom, they, you know, I have a caseload of 20 to 25 students and that we see each other every day. They became a family. They started teaching each other. They started, you know, using the language that I was you know, teaching them to use about advocating for themselves and not using their disability as a crutch, but building off their strengths and how to go to the classroom and, you know, be able to advocate that I need, you know, to sit up front. I need to have visuals. I need to take ownership of my learning and help my teacher know what's best for me so that I can be successful and access the curriculum like everybody else. So it was just those moments of the light bulb moments that all the teachers say, you know, that they just love when they see their students get it. I got to see that all the time, especially coming in as freshmen and being so vulnerable and so scared and nervous about what graduation would look like. But the best moments were the transition planning. And I know for some special educators, they're like, ah, the transition planning. So difficult if that's the worst part of the IEP. It was my favorite because we really got to talk about the whole student. What do you wanna do and how are we gonna get you there? So if you want to be this, what steps do we need to take to do that? And I got to take them on field trips. You know, Sometimes we would go and look at getting them an ID if they didn't have a driver's license yet, filling out those job applications. When they would get a job after they fill out the application, we practice for the interview, they get a job and they came back. Those were the best moments, just seeing the IEP come the life. Yes, I love to hear that. And I was thinking about when you said they follow with you for all four years of high school, Mm -hmm. how hard it was for me each year to restart at the beginning of a new school year with all different classroom teachers, all different people in my classrooms. So for these individuals that do thrive on consistency in a, a set schedule, I can only see how much that that helped them progress throughout those formative years of high school and high school's hard high school's hard yeah high school's hard and not all students are nice so to have Mm -hmm. a community of students and teachers that you know are there to empower you and to help you grow I'm sure that made a world of difference from that for them and that transition piece that's completely motivated by the family and the students wants and needs so I can Mm -hmm. imagine how fulfilling that is for a special education teacher that has followed them for so long to see their hopes and their dreams really come to fruition in that transition into adulthood. Yeah, Um, that is beautiful. I love hearing that. Um, You mentioned earlier about being a special education teacher before you became a parent, a parent of children with special needs. Mm -hmm. So could you talk us through what that diagnostic process looked like for your children with autism and 
maybe some of the high and low points or things that you wish could have gone differently or, you know, what, what was that like for you and your family? Well, yeah. So there's a difference between the medical diagnosis and then the academic diagnosis. My children received their medical diagnosis kind of parallel with their academic diagnosis. So we knew that we saw the the signs. We knew that we needed to go get our child um, evaluated. So we were working with early on services and they were coming to the home. So I had the special ed teacher coming to the home. And I get this question too, like, why did you have a special ed teacher coming to home when you were a special ed teacher? I'm also his and her mother. And I also work full time. And this was another perspective, another professional, you know, how blessed that I am to have that you know, that value in my house and to work with my child and somebody else. And then I can be mom and then work with these professionals and building a support system for my children. So when they were doing that and going through that diagnosis process, they were looking at um, autism, but at first it was just early childhood developmentally delayed until we went and got a medical diagnosis to, to see. So we went to U of M for both of our diagnosis for both children and they were wonderful. They're great there. There was a long wait list. So that's something, you know, parents are shocked when they call to schedule that evaluation and they're like, oh, we're six months out, like six months out. So that means six months of not receiving any outside services if they don't have that diagnosis. So I called every day and finally I got a cancellation appointment and they're like, can you be here tomorrow at this time? Like, we'll make it work. So it's almost a two hour drive. We made it up there and it's a long day and you're in a room almost for five, four, five, six hours. I couldn't even tell you how long it was. It felt like a blur. And you, you'll have one of the specialists, like a neurologist or speech pathologist, and they'll come to the room and they'll evaluate your child for 45 minutes to an hour. And then they'll leave and you have like a 20 minute break. Well, you can leave the room for like that 20 minute break, but those transitions back and forth into the room are really tough. So we just stayed in the room and then my husband would run down and get snacks or something if we needed it and then come back. So then they would get together and talk about what they saw and then they'd come back a different professional would come back and they do the same thing. And you do this, you know, through three or four or five professionals and then they would talk together and then they would have a decision for you. You know, we do recommend that your child has autism spectrum or you're on the autism spectrum and here are some services and they'd hand us a pamphlet and you know with my son it was just all new with our daughter we're like all right and the next one's going to come in and we're going to talk about them and we're going to say the same things so we knew what to expect but it's a long day it's really hard on the child it's really hard on the parents it's hard on the professionals I can imagine too but the us as parents we felt like you know our child sitting there we're talking about them as if they're not there almost because you know I can't just step out of the room while he's in there and we talk about him but we're talking about them and then the you know professionals they need to know what the delays are what makes your child different what signs are you seeing do you have any videos to show us and with my daughter we were much more prepared so we're showing them videos of her flapping we're showing videos of us calling her name and she's not responding we're showing videos of her in social settings so that made it easier and a little quicker um, for them to make those decisions because they're just seeing that child in the moment, you know, they don't get to see the whole span of what it looks like, you know, out in the community or at home. So when they give you that recommendation, if they think your child has autism, they give you the pamphlet and it has resources available in your area. 
Well, unfortunately in my area, there's not many resources. I mean, enough where even the professionals were like, well, if you're willing to drive or move, like there might be some, and it's like, you know, that's putting me in a situation where we have to pick up our life, my support system, my whole family's here to get services. So I'm leaving supports. Like it's almost, and my husband and I have gone back and forth. Do we leave? Do we move? What do we do? And what we do know is we work with our school as much as we can on getting the services that we can for our children. And I have a tight group of, you know, other parents in our area that work together, but this is really why I wrote rock with me autism inspired. I love you. But I just felt like when we were leaving that diagnosis process, we just felt sad. And it wasn't something to be sad about, it was something to be celebrating about, but we felt sad that we just spent all that time talking about our child's delays and it, or in a negative light saying our child does this instead of, I love when my child flaps. So when my daughter was going through the process, we made sure we said it in that way, but that they knew it, they, they weren't doing it ill intention. They have to know what makes them different so that they can decide. But if they would have just handed me something like rock with me, autism inspired, I love you book and said, I know those were really tough conversations. You just shared a lot of personal information and things that, you know, made your child sound different. And, but those are the same things we love about your child also and want to celebrate and gave me this book. I'd have been like, okay, that was worth it. Or that you did recognize how awesome my child is. And you are celebrating this, not mourning this. So I felt like, and it, it, they weren't mourning, they, you know, as professionals, but as a parent, you feel like that because you walk out, here's some service. Now you need to go do something, go do something with your child to make them better, to give them, you know, hope for help. And you're like, ah, oh, like what's so wrong with them? They're so beautiful. They're so perfect, but um, they do need some supports and services. And that's our job as a parent then to go find them. But if there's none in your area, it's really tough. I think there's a quite a few really good takeaways in that story you just shared with us. But first of all, I appreciate you just being very open and transparent about that process because I think that is something a lot of parents go through. And even with the pandemic, it's made things a lot more challenging. And I know that's something that we talk about um, where I work is how important early intervention is. Mm -hmm. And even so with online learning, how there should be more pushed for early intervention. And luckily you had that special education background where you could pick up on some things, but a lot of parents who don't have that same background might not recognize there might be some delays with their children or that their children might need some additional support. So it's really great to hear that you are such a strong advocate for your children because they will pick up on that and start advocating for themselves, which I'm really excited to learn a little bit more about later. But um, if we could just kind of shift gears a little bit into your book, Rock With Me, yeah. what was the reaction and support from the autism community like after you had released that? It has been so great. It's been so welcoming and heartwarming. And I've had so many parents reach out and say, thank you so much for writing this. This is exactly what my heart needed. You know, educators buying it for each other, for their classrooms. And, you know, a lot of occupational therapists and speech pathologists is to have, you know, outside services to have in their offices to support parents and just letting them know so that they see that book and they say, oh, like, thank you. You know, Thank you for recognizing us and recognizing that it is a celebration of us. So, and it's just celebrating our differences because there is a lot of, you know, not meaning to or intentionally, but there is a lot of talk that could 
make you feel down when you're talking about autism in general or even disabilities in general. And it's not that we should be talking about sympathy for them. It should be, you know, empathy. And you can identify with that situation and those challenges because there are some really hard challenges that come with it, but also like just celebrating them as the person who they are and as a whole. So I brought the book. I can share a little bit. So that's a rock with me. And there's my children and our dog Maggie. So they're the characters of it. And I'll just flip a couple pages, but... Oh, that is so cute. Yeah. Where did you get the illustrations done? How was that process for you? Yes, the illustrator, she's amazing, Megan Seeloff. So she owns an art business in New York and she was a friend from college. We actually met doing seasonal work at Aeropostale when we were in college, having a a little side job and um, we became good friends. And then we hadn't talked for a long time, you know, after graduating college and moving on with our careers and I, you know, social media is so great for that. So she was on my social media and I was thinking about this book and I had it almost completely written. And then I thought, I'm going to reach out to her and see if this is something she'd be interested in. And she was like, oh my goodness, this is something that's on my bucket list. I've been, you know, thinking about this and wanting to do something like this. So it was this, the perfect storm, I guess. And we collaborated and we both, you know, I, this is my first book and she had never illustrated a children's book either. So we would come across things that we had no clue what they're talking about on these Facebook pages. And I'm like, what's a bleed? What does that mean in a book? And she's like, I'm on it. And like, we'd just, you know, look it up and find out together. And it was, it was really cool experience. Yeah. And Kayla actually sent me a book as well. So I have Mm -hmm. mine right here. Yes. I did have a chance to read through it. And I just have to say that the illustrations are beautiful And the story behind it, like you said, really does accomplish what you set out to do with it. And that's to celebrate why we love our children so much with autism, not despite or not in spite of what makes them autistic, but because they are different and because they can bring this beautiful perspective and and beautiful type of energy to our lives. And you're right that it's so often, especially in those clinics and comprehensive teams of professionals that are looking for an answer for you it's very easy to get caught up in the negative or the things that aren't there but it's so much more important for the family that has to walk away with that diagnosis not to feel a sense of mourning or that they have lost out on any dreams that they have for the child and Mm -hmm. I think that that's often what parents walk away that have never had this experience before is that they walk away thinking, oh my gosh, all my dreams and my hopes for my child are suddenly gone. And now I need to rework what, what this child's life is going to look like. Mm -hmm. But instead with a book like this and a resource like this, parents can walk away saying, okay, this is what we are dealing with. This is what our child needs. And it's an answer to some of the questions that we've had, but it's not a sentence for how far their life can, can go and what all they can achieve. I think it's beautiful. And we will be so excited to share more about your book in our upcoming episodes. But I want to focus on that point that you made of focusing more on our children or our students' strengths rather than Mm -hmm. their negative traits or things that we might perceive as obstacles. So for your children, um, we know that autism presents differently in every Mm -hmm. single individual. So what are some of your children's strengths? And then where do you find some areas that they need extra support as well? 
Yes, I could talk all day about how lovable my kids are because I'm their mom. So, but my children are, their best qualities are that they are so loving and caring and they really do just love people and interaction and family. So my son shows that they're very different. My son shows it in different ways. My son is very, he's verbal, but he's very outgoing and he loves people and he loves to communicate with people and really practice that dialogue of back and forth. He loves the McDonald's drive-thru, not so much because he wants the food, but he loves the, hi, how are you today? Good. How are you? What can I get for you today? And that interaction back and forth. So he, he loves to go through drive-thrus, but my daughter too is the funniest little girl and she's nonverbal. She's five and we use an iPad and we're really working hard on her with her communication. So that is one of her weaknesses to be able to express what she wants. So she gets frustrated very often because she can't tell us what she's, what she wants. We know her signs. So we know little things and she's really quiet about it. So when she wants to eat, she knows the sign for eat, but she'll kind of walk by and just touch or she'll go touch the oven to see if I'm cooking. So she, we, we know her signs, but we need to give her the, the voice to be able to speak for herself. We know there's so much, many ideas and things that she wants to communicate to us. So giving her that ability to do so, that's a weakness. Same with my son, communication is a, a weakness, even though it's also his strength. He loves to talk back and forth the dialogue, sometimes he doesn't understand um, the dialogue of what's going on or being able to read the social cues, be able to understand what they're asking. He's getting a lot better being around his peers and giving more time to practice. But things like, you know, what did you do today? He's like, today we're, you know, and he'll tell you the schedule for class. But if you ask him, you know, about school, you would have to come up with a specific event and then say, you know, at recess, what did you do? Did you swing or did you do this? And then he's kind of like, oh, we're talking about recess. And I did that in the past. So that past, present, future is really hard for him. Or even just knowing, you know, um, there's no such thing as a stranger to him. It's just a friend he hasn't met. He loves meeting new people, but understanding that there's certain situations you can't just walk up to somebody and ask them about certain things. You know, he, he goes on missions for right now. It's, um, it was a birthday in March. He really wanted to know somebody that had a birthday in March. So he'd ask everybody their birthday. And it was because it was the month of March and he loves to celebrate. So he wanted to have a party. Like he wanted to celebrate them. And that's his best, best quality. He loves to celebrate birthdays, how any holidays. We have a Valentine's Day party. We have a St. Patty's Day party. We have probably a Cinco de Mayo party, you know, just so we could put banners up and eat cake. Like he loves it. The same with my daughter. She is more quiet and reserved. So being overstimulated gets, gets to her a little bit easier or knowing, you know, working with people that don't just rush to her because she's, she's gorgeous. She's such a beautiful little girl and people just want to get to know her and talk to her. And she's been like, you know, it's too much, but I'll come to you and she will, she'll eventually come to you and you just got to give her some time, but they're just, oh, they're just the most amazing kids. The funniest kids you'll ever meet. I'm glad that you shared a little bit more about them individually too, because I think a lot of people I come across who know someone with autism only know maybe one or two people with autism, but everyone on the spectrum is different in their own oh, way. Different. So individual. Uh, and mm -hmm. like you said, your son is very social and loves to celebrate, loves to meet people. And I think uh, that can be a misconception of autism as well. I think some people 
when they think of autism, they think of antisocial and doesn't like to interact, but that's quite the contrary for some individuals mm -hmm. on the spectrum. Uh, I think that your stories and you sharing more about your children will help our viewers and our audience understand that it doesn't look the same for everyone. It's no. even when you're raised in the same environment. Mm -hmm. And some of that's being boy at first girl. Some of it is, um, you know, their age and their experiences. My son's in first grade, but they are so different. And even there's certain qualities that were like, oh, my son does that too. My daughter does that. But, you know, when you meet somebody with autism or somebody that knows somebody with autism, they expect it to be like, they fit in this category, this, this box. And that's not how that is. Like the spectrum is so long and wide. You know, we have people that aren't able to communicate at all and their independence level is very low. They are going to need a lot of support They're, You know, like my daughter, I, that's my biggest worry about her is, you know, giving her as many tools to be successful in life and be as independent as possible. But I don't know where, you know, the sky's the limit, but will she live with us forever? Will she want to live independently? You know, who I worry about people taking advantage of her and being able to protect her. And I'm her mom. So every mom has those fears, but it's even much more heightened when you have a child that's not able to communicate for herself. So I really, my, my biggest push is to give any child that, that, that you have a voice because just because they can't speak doesn't mean they don't have something to communicate. You don't have something to say that's very different, but there might be, you know, a child on the spectrum that does not have a voice and that's not in their ability level to, to, you know, achieve and you can give them options and, you know, choices, those kind of things. And then you have somebody so high, like my son's very, you know, they don't really use those terms much anymore, but to explain it to somebody that doesn't understand very verbal or high functioning on the, on the spectrum, he's able to communicate. And I think, you know, with the proper supports in, in place, he'll be independent in life. I think that's such a powerful message too of what you said with your daughter is that she might not be speaking in the, or communicating in the way that we all understand and are familiar with, but she has a lot to say still and she still wants to communicate and it's just finding that middle ground so that she can develop that communication and can develop that language to bridge the gaps in what she, not, what she needs and what she wants. Yeah. Uh, especially to help her obtain that independence as she gets older. But I think this is a great segue into how your professional background helps you raise your children. You talked about how raising children helps you in your professional life because it taught you patience and empathy, but how, when it's reversed, how does that work for you? I think it's the same. It's, you know, working with my own student or my own children. It's like working with my own students. Sometimes I have to go into that teacher mode. I have to stop myself and say, you know, what do they need? Sometimes you get caught up in being the parent mode and, you know, do this or do that and realizing, okay, they need a way to communicate. So we use the iPad at home. We have the core boards, which is another way of communicating, you know, on a, a board all over our house. So when people come over, they're probably like, what are they doing? But, you know, it's by the door and it's on our kitchen counter and it's in the living room so that my daughter has a way to access it when needed to communicate. 
and being able to just know what to implement with them and having that background of that visuals are, you know, um, important for them. So providing those visuals, you know, when we were potty training my son, we had visuals on the wall and being able to create those know-how and what resources. And just the biggest thing is the resources available, where to start, where to go. When you get that diagnosis process and then that pamphlet, you still have to then make the decision what's best for my child, where do I go, who do I talk to, and being in being a professional in a special education setting, I already had some of those connections to be able to call and say, okay, how do I get, you know, early on services, I'm at the high school, what do I do for my own children, and the community and being able to work with the professionals locally to support my children. Right, and all the examples that you gave, although brief, little blurbs, that gives a good idea for what parents or anyone listening, family members of children with autism might be able to seek if they're not having success in XYZ support. So mm-hmm. setting up those different accessibility options throughout the house and then turning on teacher mode versus parent mm-hmm. mode, because I'm sure it can get, you know, being a parent, you can get engrossed in what you should do as a parent, but having having that balance between, and then also relying on your support system too. So we talked a little bit about the misconceptions of autism and how we typically associate autism with nonverbal, different behaviors, hand flapping, but we know that the spectrum is so much broader than that. I think Francesca mentioned this way earlier in our season that autism isn't a spectrum, it's more of a kaleidoscope, so it Mm -hmm. can look very different for every single individual. So what are some of the most important things that you would like people to understand about autism? I think it goes back to that general term of if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. That's it. You can find some similarities, but just like any other person, there's some similarities about, you know, this group or this, you know, these individuals, but not it's not always going to look the same. You know, I have two children and they look extremely different and even their strategies are different. What works for them is different and their strengths and their, you know, weaknesses are different. So even if you've met one person with autism, being able to get to know them as an individual and what they need, what are their, you know, abilities and their strengths, it's going to be different from person to person. And just understanding that it's good to have a base, a baseline that, you know, people with an, you know, autism have certain characteristics or uh, may have certain characteristics, or it could look like this. And that's just having a sense of awareness, but then moving that to acceptance. So this individual needs this, and this individual needs that, and that looks different than somebody else. And that's okay. It's still autism. It just looks different. And it's hard to it's hard to accept that because when we look at different disabilities, they look kind of the same. I mean, you can either genetically find out, you know, like Down syndrome, we know it's a genetic component and we can test it at birth and we know they are, you know, born with Down syndrome. With autism, it's, we're not there yet to know. So it's a lot of, we um, were relying on professionals and parents to give you those, that advice and that guidance and just accepting of who they are and what they need and understanding everyone's going to be different. Right. And like you said, um, we're just not there yet with understanding exactly what the causes of the autism spectrum are and how to really support them in the best way possible, which is why there's so much research um, being put out about how to improve the quality of life for individuals with autism. 
And in that we have to really validate everyone's experience, whether they're a parent of someone with autism or whether they're an individual with autism themselves, because there are a little, a lot of different opinions within the community. And I think right now, it's really just important to validate everyone's opinions and concerns. And this mm -hmm. way we can move forward and really help support everyone the way that they need to be. And earlier you mentioned that as a special educator, you implement some strategies at home with the visual, visual schedules and visual instructions for your children, mm -hmm. which is great and really can help. How do you have these conversations with other professionals as they're implementing strategies in their classrooms? It's ongoing conversations and it looks different with my son and, and my daughter, but it's just ongoing conversations of, you know, just being able to communicate together. Like if my daughter's not there one day, letting them all know, like, you know, not forgetting, like just the, the preschool teacher, letting the whole team know in case they show up, but then having those meetings of like, what does the iPad look like? in the preschool classroom. And that doesn't really work for us at home. You need all of that language there. When she comes home, could you change it to the language that we could work on and the language we need and being able to be on, you know, the same team with that, because we all want what's best for our daughter or my daughter. So we all want what's best for her, but working together, not against each other. Like they value my expertise as her parent and as this, a special ed teacher and saying, you know, what works, what strategies have you tried at home so that we, we can look at doing those here, implementing those here, but also valuing their expertise. They see her in the classroom where I don't get to see and seeing like these visuals are working or um, with the iPad, you know, having fewer icons for her to navigate or more pictures like the PEC system is working better for her and trying different things, but then communicating that with me so that I'm not doing something completely different at home and it's confusing her at school. So having those conversations and being, and just knowing that the end goal is to make, you know, the student, my child, the most successful that they can be um, in their environment. Right, exactly. And that really speaks to how important professional and parent collaboration is yes. because if there's any disconnect or there isn't a lot of active communication or an open line of communication between teachers, professionals in the home setting, any caregiver for a child with autism or any type of disability, then there could be needs that are being met in the classroom that aren't necessarily being carried over into the home. And that's that consistent. Yes, exactly. Consistency. And it could just be making the process slower for the child when if there are consistencies between home and work or school, then it could just really propel that child to be, like you said, as successful as they possibly can. And every professional out there in the special education, special needs department, um, disability awareness and advocacy, that's, that's their goal, whether they have mm -hmm. disability themselves or not. So that's a very important aspect to have that parent teacher professional communication. Yes, I agree. Totally agree. Yes. So on Spectrum Sundays, we really work to create a community of appreciation and acceptance for autism. Awareness has been thrown around for so long. And fortunately, we have come a long way. So mm -hmm. we really try to focus in this community to propel it into the next direction, to make it even broader of a goal. So as a longtime advocate yourself, how has practicing acceptance and inclusion impacted your life, either professionally, professionally or personally? 
It's everything, you know, everywhere we go. And it's been one of those things that when my children were much younger, it was harder to navigate the world because of fear. I was very fearful that people wouldn't understand or accept and kind of getting out of my own head and understanding that I'm not giving them the option to, if I'm just hiding them at home and not going out. But I was so fearful of like, if we went to a birthday party and a bloom popped and then it sent my child over and we would have to leave. And it's just me and two hands, you know, if my husband couldn't be there, what I would, would never go alone. So I had to get out of my own head and realize actually these were moments of education. These are moments to, you know, educate my own child of, you know, working past those things because those are real life situations that are going to happen and that I can't control the environment all the time. And then getting out of my own head of realizing this is the opportunity to educate others too, that if that were to happen and we were to have a sensory, you know, overload of just saying like, I need a minute, I'm sorry, we're going to try these strategies and they get to see that's what it looks like and understand and accept. And it's made it, you know, once I've realized that it's made my life just completely different because now my friends are able to support me and accept and understand in a different way than when I'm just telling them they get to be a part of it too. And they, they will see my child and understand like, Oh, they just, you know, Kayla tried this strategy with them. I want to try to step in and help with that too. Cause I can see that Kayla and Steele's hands are busy. So being able to be a support for us, but I wasn't giving them the opportunity to, if I was just so fearful of going because I was trying to protect my children or control the environment. So, you know, the acceptance in the school system, acceptance in our, you know, personal life, acceptance, you know, in my family support system, you know, we would go to like a Christmas and I would just dread it when my kids are younger because there would be so many people. And my daughter does not like to open presents because of the surprise factor. She don't, she wants to know what's in the box. She doesn't want to open it to find out like what if something jumps out at her. Like, she's like, no, thank you. I mean, you think of what kid doesn't love presents, but her. She was not about it. She was no thank you. So being able to just step out and go and be able to have that family support system, but they couldn't support me if I wasn't allowing them to. If I was, you know, sorry, we're not going to attend because um, I'm afraid of X, Y, and Z. But when I got in my own head and we got there and realized that this is how I can promote acceptance and understanding, even if it's just in our small circle, they then have the education to keep spreading it on and they get to know my children better. So now my mother, my father, my husband's mom and dad and our you know, siblings share my children's stories and, oh, my nephew has autism, like send that kid over and, you know, we, we got this, like they are so accepting of it and um, because they've had an opportunity to be a part of their lives. That is, there's so many great messages in that. And I think a big take takeaway is letting control or letting go of control mm -hmm. over different situations, whether you are a parent of a children with autism or not, they, your child has to figuratively and literally fall sometimes and learn mm -hmm. how to pick themselves back up and learn those strategies. But like you said, taking it that next step and teaching those strategies to those peers around them so that they can support their friends. Um, even if they're in a different situation with someone different who has autism, they might try those strategies and it might work for them as well. Just, it's great overall to just 
involve other people and involve the community to help build that support for your children. And it's not an easy lesson or skill to learn, but mm-hmm. that can is be very challenging. Me. Yeah, but that's what makes you also a really great educator is learning that balance of when do I step in or when do I teach someone else to also help? Mm-hmm. We covered a lot of really great information and different stories today, but if there was one overarching idea or message that you'd like our viewers to really take away and keep with them, what would that be? I always leave it with, you got this. There's always going to be challenges that you are going to think, how am I going to get through this? And Every, and I, I've said this in, you know, different interviews and segments before, but people tell you, you know, don't look in the rear view mirror because you don't live there anymore. But for me and my family, I find it very comforting to look back and see where we were and how far we have become, we've come because there were so many challenges that we have overcome that I thought, you know, we might not ever get through this. My, my son's going to go to high school and not be potty trained because I just can't, you know, but then those challenges, I faced them head on. We put a lot of work, a lot of supports into it. And now he's potty trained and I can't even imagine him not being. And now we have this, you know, coming with my daughter, she's five and she's nonverbal and we're trying to figure out strategies to get her potty trained. So just knowing, you know, pick a task at a time. It's not, you're not trying to conquer, you know, all of the things that you want them to do or become, pick something that is important that will make their life better and tackle that. You got it. Look in the rear mirror and see, we've been here before. We have the skills, we have the the strength. We're going to keep pushing through and we're going to look back and go, Oh, remember when, and then now keep you propelling to move forward and tackle all of those tasks and challenges along the way. Because parenting in general is not easy. It is difficult task. It is a hard task, you know, the hardest job I've ever worked. And then putting, you know, having children that have extra needs on top of that, it just makes it, it can, it can be very exhausting, but it, we make it harder sometimes as parents than what it is, because we want to do everything at once. We want to, like you said before, controlling that environment and just, just relax. Like you'll get there and you've been there before. That's a beautiful sentiment to leave any parents, especially who are listening or caregivers that are listening, because I'm sure it's very hard to want to tackle that mountain And from the bottom of the mountain, it might look like a very steep climb, but until Mm -hmm. you really acknowledge how far you've come, then that that could be the motivation that you need to keep going. So Mm -hmm. I think that that's a beautiful reminder. So for our audience who is watching, who are watching, how can they connect with you and provide support to your future projects, to any upcoming events that you have planned, or even to purchase your book? Yeah, so my website is raiseofsteel.com and it's R-E-A-S-O-F-S-T-E-E-L-E. Um, so raiseofsteel.com. And then I have a Facebook page where I post a lot of the book's journey and that is called Autism Inspired Resources. And then on Instagram as well. So that is Raise of Steel Autism on Instagram. So you can find me at any of those. And like I said, the raiseofsteel.com is where you can purchase the book. And I'm looking forward to writing more. I'm hoping this summer gives me an opportunity to do that. That would be great. I would love to hear about any future endeavors you, yeah. you have in store and to hopefully get to read all the rest of the books you have in mind. 
but we really appreciate you coming on to Spectrum Sundays, Kayla. And for any of you guys listening, if you've enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more, please follow Kayla on her uh, Instagram at Rays of Steel Autism. Like she said, it is spelled R-E-A-S-O-F-S-T-E-E-L-E-A-U-T-I-S-M. And uh, you can visit her website at raysofsteel.com. Her Facebook page is at Autism Inspired Resources. And we would love to see you again. So thank you, everyone, and see you next Sunday. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Spectrum Sundays. We are your hosts, Miss Thousand Islands, Francesca D'Alessandro. And Miss Central Pennsylvania, Megan Sinisi. Please make sure to subscribe to our series and follow us on social media to stay connected with autism professionals and self-advocates. And remember, true impact is accomplished through active listening and exploring the world through a variety of perspectives. Join us next week on Spectrum Sundays to help cultivate a community of inclusion, appreciation, and acceptance around autism. 